Rosario. Wow, that was a mouthful there. You must have grabbed it from somewhere, because I know I didn't send that to you. I don't think so. so. But yes, I've been a, a busy individual doing a lot of things. Um, and I want to make sure that I, there we go. So I also started a ministry called Equipping Wise Managers, because that's what I want to do. We want to equip people to do God's work. We just happen to use finances as a tool, but we're using God's word to actually do it. So in Equipping Wise Manager, I'm the founder, and basically I teach Crown Financial Ministries. I teach Compass, which is another ministry as well out of Florida. And whatever the Lord leads me to do, I'll do through that ministry as well. So Crown Financial Ministries is the one that I got everything started, and it has blessed us. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture verses, because to me, you got to set the foundation first. Once you set the foundation spiritually, then the practical piece of your finances will work. A lot of times people do it backwards. They try to figure out the practical piece and say, God, join me in what I'm doing. Well, we should be setting the foundation first. So just like if you're building a house, what's the first thing that goes down? It's the foundation. That's what we're trying to do. So where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, Matthew 6, 21. So if we, I like to dissect scripture verses, go a little bit deeper, because it just helps me to understand it and to remember. So it doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will go. So it's where is your treasure? So what is it that you treasure? Do you treasure God's word or do you treasure what the world is doing and experiencing that way? So there's a big difference, Matthew 6, 21. So what we're going to be talking about for the next three hours, he did tell you it's going to be a long extended one, right? <laughs> uh, no? Okay. We're going to talk about man's economy. Big difference between God's economy. What do you see in man's economy in this picture? Oh, by the way, I know this is church service. Love participation anytime when it's small like this. So what do you see? You see one? Waste, ashes, something burning up. So there's a big difference between man's economy and God's economy. So this is going to be man's economy for today. This is going to be God's economy for today. You've got to understand the big difference, and you've got to understand that there's two. Otherwise, you don't realize it. So we're going to be studying and looking at the difference. So many times I'll refer back to man's economy, God's economy. So before we do that, I want to give you some statistics to let you know that this is an actual problem, a dilemma that we have. These are some statistics based on the American financial statistics. Almost half spend more than they actually learn. So this half spends a lot more than they should be. You guys need to learn, okay? This half, they're not spending as much. So that's American statistics. Number one cause of marital conflict. 56% of marriages that end in divorce say it's because of finances. That's a big number. So that's one of those things where my wife and I, the Lord led us to this ministry, led us to do this, is to realize that you could help a couple, a young couple, a married couple, to understand their finances. You're going to reduce their chances of divorce just by teaching them God's financial principles. You don't have to talk about anything about communication, but you do when you're going through it. There's so many factors. 51% in a divorce because of money. The average family credit card debt is over $9,000. It's actually higher now. $9,000 of credit card debt. So some of you are saying, oh, good, I'm less than that. And other of you are saying, oh, my, I've got more than that. So one-third pay their credit card off each month. What does that statement say about the other two-thirds? They don't. So two-thirds of people do not pay off their credit cards. So they're doing a, the monthly, whatever it says in that statement they're paying. And if you ever look closely, sometimes it's 13 years. So think about that pizza that you bought yesterday. You're going to be paying for it 13 years from now. Because it might take you that long if you're just throwing money on top of your credit card. Also, half only pay the minimum. So that's all you're paying because that's all you could afford because you're not using the credit card the way it was intended to. And then 
four, I mean, 800 billion owed in credit card debt. That's only one thing. Imagine for a second, if we took that number, cut it in half, and we had 400 billion, and that 400 billion, instead of paying Mr. Credit Card, we gave it to the church. Just think about what 400 billion could do for the churches across the U.S. instead of us paying the credit cards. So that's American statistics. Let's look at some Christian statistics here. This is based on Barna.org. Again, I just want to show you the problem before we get started. One-third of adults give nothing. So this is a believer. So we're going to make an assumption. You're a believer. You understand God's word. And you understand that we should tithe. And only one-third give nothing. Also, most say they tithe, but less than 10% actually do. What's important about that statement and reading between that statement is a tithe from the dictionary standpoint, whatever means 10%. That's just a numeric thing that we should tithe. So a lot of people, I had a couple, I do one-on-one coaching with families, had a couple that was making $125,000 a year. The husband handled all the finances. They were in dire stress. So they came for counseling. We sat down and I go through from the beginning. Let's figure out the budget. Let's put it down on paper because if it's not on paper, it's useless. It's not good to be one person's brain because it's not going to be in the second person's brain. Plus, you're not going to remember tomorrow. You know, I just hit 55. The stuff we forget is pretty amazing. So you want to write it down and keep track of it. So he kept telling his wife for years that they were tithing. Years. And she said, oh, yeah, we tithe. I said, great. What is it? She said, oh, I don't know. Ask the husband. Well, what you tithe last month? You should be able to know that. He said $25. So I said, okay, you should have seen her. I mean, it was like fire coming out of her hair because for years she thought they were tithing. That's a gift, but that's not tithing. So people misunderstand. A tithe is if you're giving 10% of your gross. So a lot of times people say they're doing something, they just don't realize that they're not. And then the average donation is less than 2.5% of their income. Now, I'm assuming most of you have done your taxes for this season or pretty close or at least thought about it or at least afraid about it. I like to do mine April 15th at 11.59, but I pay taxes. I'd rather pay them than me get back from them. So I just pay them every quarter instead of me getting back. So I do it at the last minute just for fun. And if you look at the tax, the, the statistic is everything else after you finish your taxes, do you know what the average not just Christian, the average gift is based on the IRS. It's 2.5. So in other words, based on this Christian statistic, which is 2.5, the world is also given 2.5. And we need to make sure that we distinct ourselves from that. Okay. And giving has decreased since 1999, and one-third of people struggle with debt and finances. So we're going to be talking about the most important thing right here, right now. God owns everything. It's important to understand that, God's part. He's Lord and he's sovereign over it all. Now, you cannot do God's part and God's not gonna do your part. God's part is under, us understanding, having the attitude that he owns absolutely everything. So we're gonna look at some scripture verse. Psalms 24, one, the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So Psalms 24.1 tells us the world is the Lord in all. So what I like to do is when you're eating elephant, not that I eat elephants that often, but when I'm doing something big like this, I try to make it smaller so that I could understand it and digest it. So I might grab one word from this scripture verse so that I could remember what does Psalms 24 verse 1 mean? It, it talks about all. And then from there I could you know, expand it. So the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. So right there it tells us God owns everything. Psalms 24 verse 1 says it's all his. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold to the Lord your God belongs the heaven and the highest heaven, the earth and all that is in it. So once again, all. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says it all belongs to him. I'm going to spend a couple more minutes on this because I want you to understand the importance of the fact that God owns it all. Now, Psalms 50.10, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to the Lord. Psalms 50 says that. 
Now, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 to 12, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and we adore you being controlled. Riches and honor come from you alone, and you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand, God's hand, controls power and might, and it is at his discretion that man are made great and given strength. So even 1 Chronicles 29 is telling us it all belongs to him, everything. Now, if you've noticed, we haven't talked once about money that belongs to him. But scripture addresses that too. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. So what I'm going to focus on, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. It all belongs to the Lord. I forgot to ask you guys this question. I'm sorry about that. So raise your hand here if you own a um, foreign car. Raise your hand. Pastor, I thought you said they were smart. Did we just not say everything belongs to God? And you're raising your hand? That I'll give you one more shot. Okay. Raise your hand if you own an American-made car. You see? That's good. American-made people, I mean, American car owners are just more spiritual. So they understand. Yes, I try to trick you in that. I didn't forget. The question is supposed to be at that point. But when you say I forgot, it makes you think differently. But it's real easy to say something. It's real hard to do. It's real easy to say God owns it all. It's real hard and difficult to actually apply it and make it a part of your DNA. So to me, many times, and I'll correct myself, it's like, oh, my car. No, God's car. Or my house. No, God's house. And believe it or not, it, that might be something little, but it'll help you as you're going through and understanding your attitude about finances and what's happening. So God owns everything. Everything that we have, he owns. So let's continue with God's part. He's also sovereign over our abilities to make wealth. Now, I was born and raised in New York City in Puerto Rican, and I mentioned in the morning one, you know, I was not poor. I was dirt poor. I mean, we really had nothing. My mom worked in a probably a room twice the size of this, sewing machines lined up, and they walked in, and for 8 to 12 hours, they literally are sitting down sewing. They get their 15-minute break when they need, their lunch break when they need, but that's about it. So it's sewing, so it, and no air conditioning. So five, imagine she had five kids that she was trying to feed and living on that type of wage in a, I call it a sweatshop, just because you're sweating and the, the stuff that you're doing. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to change that. And I realized once I gave my life to the Lord is, it's not up to me. He's given me the abilities. So I have to say, what abilities has God given me so that I could make the wealth, so I could do the things that I want to? So Deuteronomy 8, 8, 17 says, Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and my strength of my... Oh, I can see now. That would help. My power and the strength of my hand have made me this wealth, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for he's the one that is giving you the power so we have to understand God's giving you skills and talents and abilities. So he's given us that, and we need to make sure that we let him know and that we understand that. So we need to ask the question, God, what have you entrusted me? What skills have you given me? What skills can I use? What skills can I develop so I can even be better at? So it's not Pedro that has been creating the wealth. God's given me the ability to do so. Also, our future, this is my wife's favorite scripture verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's what we want. We want that hope and we want that future. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that. Also understand there's going to be failures. Don't raise your hand, but have any of us failed? It's going to happen. The character of the person is how do you get up from the failure? Because it's going to happen over and over again. But God knew that was going to happen. Romans 8.28, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So it's critical to understand that you know, our abilities to make wealth, our failures, and also our future, it's all in God's hand. And in reality, I'd rather have it in God's hand than in my hand. Because whatever I do, whatever I create on my own, it's not going to be as strong. It's not going to be the best foundation. So we talked about God's part. 
Do we have any responsibilities? We sure do. So our part is being stewards. Now, if you think about it for a second, a grocery store owner or grocery store manager have different responsibilities. So if I'm the manager of a grocery store, I go in at 6 in the morning and turn that key on, I'm 100% responsible for the grocery store, but I don't own it. And I have to understand that because if I act like the owner of that grocery store, I might make different decisions. So that's the same thing. We are stewards. We're called to steward. And we have to understand everything that you do financially, everything that you do, period, you're going to be accountable for one day. And that sometimes scares you because I'm like, I'm just buying a stick of gum. I mean, is that a spiritual decision? Sometimes it is because every financial decision could become a spiritual decision. So you have to be cautious. So I'm going to paraphrase a parable of the talent, Matthew 25, 14 through 29. So it was as master was about to go on a journey. He had three servants. To the one servant, he gave five talents. To the one servant, he gave two. To the other servant, he gave one. Now, important part is the master decided, and he gave it to them each according to their abilities. So it was the master that decided the abilities of each person because the master is going to know who has which abilities, just like God knows our abilities. So the master goes on the journey for a long time. The servants did not know when the master was coming back. And the master returns. And what's neat, if you look at it in Scripture, the first servant with five, he approaches the master and says, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained you five more. And what's neat, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many more. So the second servant comes and says, Master, you've entrusted me with two things. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many more. When did you hear that last? When he was talking to the individual with the five, actually now ten. He said the same thing to the individual that has ten now than to the individual that has four. So if you think about it, it's not about doubling. It's not about increasing it so that as much. It's doing what he's called you to do to excellence. So each individual, each servant actually went and actually doubled what they did. They had no idea what they were supposed to do with. Scripture doesn't have any instructions on what happened, how it happened, but they actually went and produced and made it happen. So there's a third individual in here. Let's look at him. He had one talent and he said to him, the one that received one said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. You have what is yours. So the first thing I see on that is that servant did not know his master. That servant did not know that his master wanted him to do something. That last servant didn't understand it's going on around him. The other two servants, they were able to receive something. They were able to do something. Do we understand that we have God's word in our possession that we could use to instruct us and to guide us in every part of our lives, especially finances? 2,350 scripture verses are dealing with finances. So the tools are there. So we need to know what does God want from me? What does God want from me in this situation? So the master said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. I don't think anybody wants to be called wicked, lazy by God. You knew that I reap where I did not scatter or sow and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have put my money in the bank. That one line says you at least should put my money in the bank indicates the only thing that you could do with money in the bank and get interest is what? Earn more money. Sometimes people use this parable of the talent because it might be your talents. Yes, you can refer to that, but it's definitely leading, dealing with money. Because how many of you are getting, raise your hand if you're getting 100% interest in your checking accounts. <laughs> Why are you laughing? 50%? 0.01? Okay, that might be more like it. You're not getting much. But the master here says, at least do something. 
So at least put it in the bank, and guess what? If you put $100 in the bank and you're getting 0 0.01, you're not getting much back. But you did something with it. So it's not about the multiplication all the time. It's, I mean, God wants us to multiply, but understand, what is it that you're doing with what you have? And even if it's little, what is it that you're doing? You know, learn and apply it. And then this other part always gets me here. Therefore, take away the talent from him who has only one, by the way, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and it shall be in abundance. But the one who ha does not have, what he has will be taken away. So this is Pedro speaking. There's a big difference between when I say God's word. This is Pedro. I would have given it to the guy who had four, right? And then I have to tell myself, what well, it's not up to me. It's the master made that decision. The master wanted it to give it to the guy who had 10. Now he's got 11. So it's not up to us who gets what, when they get it, or anything else. We can't control it. Us getting frustrated isn't going to do anything. It's like, what is it that we're doing with what we have is what we should be looking at instead of worried about what God has given some, someone else. So we always have to ask our question, understand what's important about being a steward, the parable of the talent is. Each were given the talent based on their abilities, based on the master's decision. The talents we have are given to us based on God. Also, if it's according to our abilities, he knows us inside and out. So we should also try to know him inside and out so that we could figure out what we need to do. And you know, one reason I went into full-time ministry and I've been into full-time ministry, and if you would have told me, you know, when I was in New York City and gang-infested community and all in Washington Heights, that I was going to be standing here in 2020 talking about God's word, I would have said, oh, you are crazy. One, I don't like to speak to people, more than one, but God changed that. And then the fact that in an area that I didn't know anything about until I was 20-something, I mean, money, you know, people didn't talk about it. It's one of those things. But to be able to hear the words myself that say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we all want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. And we could. All of us could hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we have to ask ourselves as stewards. Many times people say, man, if I had $10 million, I'll give it to the church. I'll do this and I'll do that. Well, where are you going to get the $10 million? We're not going to talk about lottery or anything else. We did that last hour. But maybe God's asking you, what did you do with the $10 he did give you? So what you do with the $10 he gave you is what you're going to do with $10 million if you get it. And instead of $10, it could be 1000 So what you do with the little things as a steward is going to impact what you do with the big things. I always told my kid, you know, how you treat your bicycle is how you're going to treat your car. You know, it's a, the same things in the same scenario. So what is it that we're doing with what we have, the $10, $1,000, 50000 that we receive, whatever it might be, what are we doing with that before God could trust us with even more? So we're going to be accountable. Also, we're going to be, um, we need to be faithful as well. Second Chronicles 5, oops, sorry, 1 Corinthians 4 says, So then, men ought to regard us as Christ, as servant entrusted to the secret things. Now it is required that those who have been giving a trust be proven faithful. So you've been given something, you need to be faithful. So God's part is understanding he owns everything. Understanding the failures, he's gonna, he understands that's going to happen. He understands he's given us the abilities to make wealth and also our future. Our part as stewards is to make sure that we understand we're going to be accountable and also we need to be faithful. And then we have to stop faithful over what? I think faithful over family, over friends, over your church, over your car, whatever is in your world, are you faithful with that? Your mind, your kids, your careers, all those things, we could be found faithful. We're, all, we're going to be stewards of all those things. So even though today might be financial day, understand every aspect of our lives we need to be stewards over and make a difference and an impact over that. So, and especially our finances. God wants us to have financial peace. He really does. Now, we have to understand 
And financial peace, shalom, is peace on all sides, including financial peace. Now, here's a trick question. We did a bunch of trick questions this morning. Here's a trick question. Can the world give you peace? And most people say no. I think the world can give you peace, but it's temporary, it's fleeting, and it's gone really quick. This is what God's word says about that. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So right there in John 14, 27, it says the world's going to give you peace. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So the world gives you peace about things. I had peace one time. I bought a car, drove it home. I was so excited. And, you know, I was, my attitude was, ooh, look at this. And I backed up into the garage, hit a, a um, mower bag. The bag fell and scratched the car. So within one minute of driving into the garage, my peace about my car disappeared really quick. That's how the world gives you peace. That's happened to you before, huh? <laughs> so, but those things happen. The world's going to give you peace, but that's not the peace we want. We want, this is the type of peace we want. It's Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And in John 16, 33, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you will have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So there's a difference between having a peace when there's a hurricane. If a hurricane's happening or a tornado's happening, anything that's happening is, you could still find peace in the situation that's happening. So that's, that's from a God's economy situation. You could still be, find peace in debt, understanding I'm making changes. I'm going to be different tomorrow than I am today. You could still find that peace in that aspect of it. So that's the peace we want. Peace doesn't mean that it just doesn't happen. In Proverbs 10, 22, it is a blessing of the Lord that makes us rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Now, financial bondage. Financial bondage is a state of being captivated or overwhelmed by money matters, mental or spiritual. So the question I have for you is, can the rich be in bondage? The answer is yes. I know someone, she's 80 years old, has a couple of million dollars, or I say eight million, excuse me, and she can't even live day to day because she's so worried about the money. At 80, you got a million already, your social security is covering way more than you actually need every month, but she is so trapped in her mind. She's not a giver, she doesn't understand, she's not a believer, and it makes it very challenging for her when it comes to financial issues. So having money is not going to ever give you freedom. I know people think if I made more money, I'll be free. I don't have to worry about these things. You're going to have other issues to deal with when you have more money. How do you, you know, the taxes and every part of that. So financial bondage is, financial bondage is a state of being captivated, overwhelmed. Boy, if you can't sleep at night, you're in bondage because of finances. If you're thinking, I'm so stressed because of it, you're in bondage. God's word tells you you could get out of that. You could just run from that. Don't stay in that at all. So the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes a lender's slave. Proverbs 22, 7. The definition of true financial freedom here. Freedom from bondage of debt, oppression, envy, greed, resentful, and freedom to respond without the hesitation of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In short, to fulfill the purpose which God has given you here on earth. Nowhere in there does it talk about, I've got a million dollars saved, I've got my retirement, kids' education is done, because it really is not about the, the numbers. The attitude you have and understanding God's word and finances is going to give you that freedom. Even though you're in debt, you could, you know, you, you come, you sit down with the coach, and somebody's helping you out, you could get that feeling almost immediately, say, you know what, yes, I still have $20,000 in credit card debt, and I still have $50,000 in student loan, but now I have a plan to get out of it. That's going to give you that freedom. That's going to help you and guide you out of that situation and not be stuck in it. So finances is one of those things you cannot close your eyes, bury your head, and it'll disappear. Because if you're accumulating interest, 
It's hurting you. Every single month, you're accumulating more and more interest. It's going to hurt you. So that's the definition of true financial freedom. Now, this is a scale. What I want you to look at, it goes from 1 to 10. 10 is a chaos. I want you just in your mind, where do you think you are? Are you at a 10 total chaos? You're not allowed to put 11, by the way. Total chaos, you don't know when, how you're going to pay the bills, what's going on, or you're one total piece with your finances. Just think about that for a second. And if you're a spouse, you can think of yourself, write it in your hand if you want, and unless you're, you're going to change when you tell your spouse what number you had. So, and then also understand that when you're in financial situation, you could move it to the left, your left, yes, your left. You could move it to your left little by little, but if you're at a nine, it's, if it took you 15 years to get into that chaos of a nine, don't expect to be at a one tomorrow, okay? It's real easy to get into debt. I mean, all you have to do is swipe, go Amazon, and go crazy for a month or two, and you get a lot of debt. It's real hard to get out of it, but there's tools and things you could do. And in the company of many who are willing to help, you could do even better, even faster, because other people have different ideas that they might help once they hear your ideas. So... I also want you to think now is, what is it that you could change by tomorrow if you're at a seven to get you to a uh, 6.5? What is it? One thing in your mind, just keep it in your mind, what's one or two things? Example could be getting on a budget. It could be saying, I'm gonna pay off the credit card. And by the way, there's a good way of paying the credit card and a bad way of credit card. And just a promotion for tonight, we'll be talking about that. So. There's good ways of doing it. A lot of times people are spinning their wheels. If you ever, I made a mistake taking my two-wheel drive in the sand on an SUV into the beach because everybody who had SUVs, I assume mine will go too. So when I stopped, guess what happened? The wheels went down and sunk and I was just spinning my wheels and clogged up traffic and everything else. So people had to help me out. You know, sometimes people have to help you out with your finances as well. Just a little help so that you're not spinning your wheels in the same place over and over. Because no matter how fast and hard I pushed that gas pedal on that SUV, I was going nowhere but down because the tires kept driving down further and further. That's the same thing with our finances. If we're doing it by ourselves sometimes, we're making it harder instead of saying, help, and then make a change. So... What needs to change? Make a change. The first thing is just deciding to make a change. When you make that first decision, you know what? We got to do it differently tomorrow than we did it today. That's going to be a big help. So what needs to change? All righty. We cannot have peace with divided hearts. God's word tells us Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for he either he will hate one or love the other. He will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I always laugh at, you know, Matthew 6, 24, because he could have said you cannot serve God and fill in the blank, anything, God and society, God and family. He put money in there. He knew that we were going to have a challenge dealing with that aspect of our relationship. The finances, how, the attitude we have. So you can't be divided. I'm going to read it again. No one, it doesn't say try or you might or anything else. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, God or money. So the group, men's economy, is constantly putting money first, ideas. In God's economy, you're putting God first, and then you're trying to figure out, God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? How do we make it do it? And sometimes if we're patient and just understand God has a better path for us, that it'll come out better in the long run than forcing it ourselves. And also God wants us to save for the future. So one thing that we teach is to save $1,000 as a first time in emergency fund. So... And many times people are like, well, I don't have $1,000. I said, well, if you save $83.33 a month, 
you have $1,000 by the time the end of the, the year. So I took $1,000 divided by 12, and that's what I need to save. So you could start doing it. Little by little, save something. Even if you can't save 83, can you save 25? Because if something breaks down in your house, i.e. a refrigerator, you're going to replace it immediately. You're not going to wait a long time unless it's, 50, I mean, unless it's 20 degrees outside and you can put your food outside for a while, which I had a friend do that in coolers for the weekend while they got their refrigerator. But you're going to go and get into more debt. So by saving that money, so that's the first step. The next step is saving three to six months of your living expenses off of your net so you could have it. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Now, Parker's 21 now, and he's at Taylor. And when we first were trying to teach him about finances, because obviously, I mean, this is my life, so I'm making sure the kids understood it. So we would give him a dollar. Guess what he wanted to do as soon as I gave him that dollar? He wanted to go to the dollar store. So we would go, and I would pay the tax, and he would enjoy it. After I figured, okay, he knows, I know what he's going to do. I said, here's a dollar, and let's go. I said, well, you can't. you got to pay tax on it. It's $1.07. So I told him, hey, there's more to it than just a dollar. So then he had to wait until he got $2 to be able to spend his $1.07 on whatever. So little by little, we have to teach everybody about finances, how it works. It is crazy how something that you deal with every single day, by time, if you woke up this morning, by the time you got here, you literally thought about money three or four times, and you probably didn't realize it. What am I going to wear? Do I have enough gas in the car? Am I going to eat breakfast? Those are all food, all money-related items that you have to think about. But with the exception of what the North Carolina just passed this year, they don't even teach that in high school. They're going to start teaching it in 2021, by the way, which is great. They're going to have a whole semester of something that you deal with every day of your life. So we'll see how it works out. But also, they're going to teach you men's economy. So that's another thing. My thought is, wouldn't you want to learn God's economy first? And we need to teach the kids as soon as they can because they're going to absorb it from somewhere else or they're going to learn it from their friends and what they learn might not be what you want to learn. So teach them about tithing super early. I mean, have them put it in an envelope themselves. Those types of things makes a big difference and impression on their minds. And don't take those little things for granted because if you create a habit, even if they don't know why they're doing it, at least it's a habit and they have a better decision to make. Instead of at 20 years old, you're trying to teach them something. At that point, they're like, Dad, I got it. Hey, I'm in college. I could do it. But no, I mean, we gave our kids, both of them, credit cards at 13. We gave them rules, taught them how to do it. We gave them checking accounts at, as soon as we could. And it first attached to us. So my son at 21, so once I think he turned 18, he was able to get his own. So he already had a 740 credit score as an 18-year-old because he, we've been doing it for so many years. So the same thing with my daughter. If you build those things and you are intentional about it, it'll make a big difference, and you're helping them. And then what's, I'm assuming there's a seven, well, we've got a couple of teenagers here. This evening we'll talk about how do you make a million dollars by the time you retire, how much you have to save, especially if you're 16 to 20. We'll teach you how to do that. But you have to save. You have to have how much, when you get a buck, what are you going to do? First thing is you should tell yourself 10% belongs to the Lord. Let me save 30%. Since you're not paying Uncle Sam at that point, pay yourself so that you're saving that dollar. If you got $100, give the Lord his part. Put 30% in your pocket to save at any age, especially if you don't have bills because someone else is taking your bills. Take advantage of that. Save, save, save. You'll be so far ahead. Now, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, and I was, God's funny sometimes. He has donkeys talking in the... Scripture, he also tells us to be like the ant. So he, this is what he wants to do like the ant. It says, Go to the ant, O slugger, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions for harvest. So an ant actually goes and knows in the summertime 
that's where my food's going to be. Because they know in the wintertime, I'm not going to get as much food. So they're saving it. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So if God gave you an abundance today, instead of spending it or doing foolish things, say, what can I save for tomorrow? Because what's neat is, he might need, you might need that abundance for yourself, but you also might need that abundance for somebody else to bless somebody. And he might be using you as a tool, as a vessel, to bless another family member or a missionary or something else. So if we save and we have the attitude of saving, it's going to impact us. And just like the ants. And I tell the kids not to kill the ants if they're inside, I mean outside, but inside I squash them because they're in my house. But, and, but God wants us to act like them and do the things that they do with those ants. So make sure that we save, save, save. Also, God wants to be set apart. So Ecclesia says we are called out. Holiness, we are called to be holy. And metonia means repent. And Hebrews 12, 6 says those whom the Lord loves, he dis- disciplines and he scorches every son he receives Isaiah 59 19 says he will bring like a rushing stream which the wind the Lord drives so he wants us to be different so what are you doing with your finances that's different than the world that's what you have to ask yourself because remember the IRS 2.5% is what they give the believers, based on that stat, 2.5% is what the tithe. We have to ask ourselves, if I were to take this roof from this church, pull it off, and people looked inside, would they see us different than the outside world? Or would they see the same thing, debt? You know, not understanding God's economy. We want to be set apart. He wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be unique. So the question is, how is your manner of money management different than the unbeliever? Now, as you're balancing the budget, you're working through it, and I've said it a couple of times, you know, you could go online and Google crown coach or financial coach. Many times this is a free service that people could have if you need help. So what happens many times is you might be in trouble and you don't know how to do things. Also, I'll be glad to give you my phone number. You could call me at any time. I'll be glad to help out. I can answer questions, even coach. But there's also online coaches. So even though there might not be anybody here, you get online and say, I need a coach, somebody could get online and help you out as well. So again, it's, you know, try not to do everything on your own. Try to get help from any source that you can. These are the steps you need to take. So seek God's intervention through repentance. So if you've done it wrong, if you've done it a different way, first thing is get to the, knee, get to the Lord on your knees. Say, God, you know, I've done it wrong. I haven't tithed or I haven't um, done what you want me to do. And I know I'm focusing a lot on tithe. That's a big piece of it. If you get that piece straight, a lot of other things will fall into place. And if you can't tithe 10%, what I tell people is, what can you do today? And if you could only do five today, great. That's between you and the Lord. But make sure you have a plan to do 5.5 next week. Make sure you have a plan to do six next week. Because believe it or not, the way I see tithing, 10% is a great place to start from. And if you give more, it's a blessing. It'll be an offering, and it makes a big difference. So see God's intervention. Also establish the right balance you got to understand the balance. I think that's a big process that we do wrong. So what is the balance? It has to be in this order. You cannot do things wrong. The nice thing about numbers, 1 plus 1 always equals 2. You can't change it, no matter what, and also no matter what language. So numbers, you could figure it out. There's things you have to do in order. God has to be first in your priorities in every single thing then your spouse, then children, and then work, and then ministry. So one of the things that's like, well, my children don't come first. No, they're third. God should be first in no matter what situation. And then me being a full-time ministry, so my work and ministry are all combined. 
you know, I got to be careful that I don't put my ministry on top of God. And sometimes it's easy to do. I'm running 100 miles an hour, enjoying things. And it's like, I got to stop to feed myself personally. Am I doing my personal devotion? Yes. I've been blessed to be able to read God's word daily for the last 21 years without missing a day because I committed that. When as soon as I found out that um, we, were, we were infertile for 10 years, and by God's sovereign, he gave us Parker. We happened to be visiting my mom in Puerto Rico. We went to the rainforest, and my wife couldn't make the walk. And she says, I'm not feeling good. Well, we've been trying for 10 years. Who knows what it was? You know, maybe the food, the Spanish greasy food. But we went back, went to a doctor, and she was pregnant. That moment, I committed, you know what? I need to teach them God's word. I need to learn it first. So if I need to learn it first, so I could teach them. So that's the things we need to do. What are we learning first? So that we could be disciples, and then we could disciple others, i.e. our family, our kids, in their finances and what I need to do. So the right balance always, always has to be established. And we are called to reflect his character. Obviously, God expresses love by giving. And that's an easy verse. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's a big piece, understanding God gave first. Faithful use of material goods is one way to express God's love. 1 John 3.17, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So understand that we need to make sure, what do we have? Can we give it to someone else? And then, four areas that we need to make sure that we are generous in. This is not all about money, even though I'm using that aspect of it. Our time. Are we generous with our time? Are we donating time, i.e., to the church, to volunteer, to other resources? I mean, it wasn't for sports for me. So that's the only thing that got me out of the streets of New York City. That's the only thing that kept me out of the gang situation because I happened to have a coach who believed in me and who helped me. I still didn't have, I didn't think I had any talent in high school, but he believed in me and he pushed me to make a difference. I didn't know he was a believer. He was. I found out later on. But that made a big difference. His time, to me, impacted the rest of my life. His vehicle was sports that helped me. I love the fact that you guys have a sports ministry because it makes a huge difference. You know, I was blessed to be able to um, play four years in college in track and football. I also was even a cheerleader. That's how I met my wife, a great way to meet the cheerleaders, go lift, lift them up and throw them up in the sky. So, but after those four years, I had a chance and decision to make. So I received a letter from the Cincinnati Bengals if I wanted to try it at their camp. It wasn't for me. By that time, my knees were shot. I, by that time, I knew I had some talent, but my coaches just spent their time and effort with me, and I made the choice of that's not the route. My wife and I have said, you know what? I don't be traveling every weekend, beat up my body, and all that kind of stuff. So, but their time and effort made an impact. So I wanted to do that. So I was able to coach football in college myself and also track because I wanted to give to other people as well. So be generous with your time. There's so many different ways. And many times we don't have it because we don't schedule correctly. So let's say, okay, if we look at our calendar, what is it that I'm giving to others? What portion of my time am I giving to others? Also your attitude. Man, sometimes we just, it's like, you really know God in there in that, in that head? because our attitudes are so negative or anything else. We just need to slow down and say, Lord, help me with my attitude so I could be, have a better attitude, so I could smile when people see me. Because understand, I was at a men's conference at Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh um, yesterday, and it was neat to just, <clears throat> it was neat to just understand that, you know, people's attitudes makes a big difference on how people perceive them, they see them, and you want to make sure that, you know, what attitude do you have? And what they said at the conference, which is, do you know you're in marketing? Do you know that you are constantly advertising for Jesus? So if you are sh showing, portraying Jesus, other people are going to see that. 
But also, if you're showing negative, you got a bad attitude, other people are going to see that. So the only Jesus they might see is you when you're at the grocery store or anywhere else. So we need to make sure that our attitudes are right and that we understand that we're promoting the God, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings in everything that we do. Another um, generosity is forgiveness. Boy, we, it's better to just forgive. Yes, yeah, somebody did you wrong. You know, move on from it. Forgive them. Even if they don't forgive you or they don't acknowledge it, move on from it. It's not going to help you at all to hold grudges. And also encouragement. Boy, you know, sometimes when you're at work or somewhere else, oh, on the basketball court, you know, somebody missed a shot or something else, you know, it's a, hey, we got you next time. You know, make sure that you encourage people and that you think about that and that your mindset is, hey, I'm going to try to encourage as many people as possible. So the tithe is holy to God. Tithing reflects the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom of sound money management. So I like to use this picture here. So this is the sequential steps to wise money management. Again, we talked about order. God is an orderly God. So tithe is holy. You fear the Lord because of it. Then you have wisdom. Then, oops, sorry, I'll have to change the color on that. I don't know why it didn't come out on yours. Sound money management. So if you try to do it backwards by doing sound money management first, it doesn't work. You might get there. I don't say it doesn't work. It's harder. So this is a good sequential way of understanding doing it correctly. So if you want sound money management, you have to have wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Read God's word. You know you fear the Lord because God's word tells you to. You tithe because God's word tells us to. So you do it in sequential order like that. And I always get this all the time. So understand, tithing preceded the law of Moses. So before law of Moses, there was already tithing happening. So, um, and bring the first fruit to God, gross versus net, entire tithe to the church. So this is based on Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruit of your produce. That from your wealth, that's everything you have, even before you pay Uncle Sam. And Malachi 3, 10, 11 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there you may have food in my house and test me on this. Boy, this is one area that God says to test them on. You know, go ahead and test them. You might not understand how am I going to do this, but I've had people that say, I, I don't tithe, I've never, I didn't realize. And they took that step of faith and they felt like they were going to fall off a cliff but they survived the next month and survived the next month. And then they realized they were thriving because they took that step of faith. Sometimes our Christian life is, might be tough. We've got to take that step of faith. Sometimes jump. And if you're not ready, all you're ready is to take at least a step forward. Do that. But do we give it all to the church? According to Malachi 3.10, we should. The church is the one. If you A tithe goes to the church. If you're doing an offering, you could do someone else or anything else. But the church is the one that's taking care of, hopefully, the homeless, the other people, the missionaries, those types of um, other groups. And if your church doesn't have a ministry that you're interested in, which I saw you guys have a ministry for the, or the two missionaries you had listed on there? Well, not the Africa one, the other one. So there was, a, there was another one on there, that, um, human trafficking. So if you, I mean, that is awesome. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I've got a 19-year-old girl that she thinks she, you know, she could be safe in Pittsburgh, and she takes the bus everywhere, and she tells me, oh, I'm over here. I'm like, oh, well, let me see. Is that a good neighborhood or not? You know, just trust in the Lord. But there's a lot of stuff that happens, and that is great. So your church is the one that should be blessing those ministries and helping those ministries, and we should be the one blessing the church as we go through that. Based on Malachi, um, oh, oh, there we go. Should I, uh, don't give second best. Many times, um, the old days, instead of giving the best lamb, they gave the one that was blind because they knew they weren't going to be able to use that one. So sometimes we give the second best. God knows. You're not going to cheat him. You know, I'm actually going through a, um, fasting right now. Two weeks of fasting. I'm halfway there, so pray for me. I got another week of um, 
just water and smoothie, and the Lord has blessed me during this time. And if you have to understand me, I am a, um, I love food, and it's a stronghold of mine. I mean, at one point I was 260, so, and for me to say, just go cold turkey one day, and I've literally not had anything to eat in a week, it is because of the Lord, not because of me or anything else. It's been him that has done that. So we need to make sure, don't give him the second best. And I've thought about it. No one's going to know if I had that piece of steak. No one's going to know. So I had to, I cook for my wife because she's got a bad back. She can't be on her feet more than 10 minutes at a time. So I cooked, so I got to cook while I'm not eating. So I cooked chicken and I'm taking her to her upstairs. And my conscience said, oh, let me taste it. I got to make sure it's good for her. And I went like this and I put it right here and God, nope. So it's one of those things, you know, you put yourself in a situation, but God could walk us through it and to make a difference and an impact. So, you know, if you're dealing with something like that and, there's, and money is a stronghold, just like food is a stronghold for me, give it to the Lord. You know, fast for a day if you need to. Fast for a meal if you need to. Make a conscious effort to say, I'm going to do something different. What is it that I'm going to be doing different? Um, should I get out of debt based on the sequential order that we talked about? No. Um, less than 10%, if you're stuck there, you know, do something and then move forward to where God wants you to be. And also, this is one thing that happens a lot, you know, if the spouse disagrees. One person wants to give a tithe, the other one doesn't. Pray about it, and the way we talk about it in our ministry is, you know, the husband is going to be 100% responsible, and if he wants to deal with God at the end, saying, you know what, uh, as the wife, you talk to them, talk, not them, hopefully one, you, you talk to your husband and he's not willing to understand, he's not willing to learn, then you've done what you need to do. Understand, husbands, as men of the household, that we're going to be responsible and someday we're going to be accountable for those decisions that we make. And if we're the ones holding back from doing what your spouse wants, that's not good. So I'll leave it like that. So your journey continues. So one of the things I try to tell people when I do preaching, a workshop, Bible study, anything of finances is, all I've done is hopefully get you primed and started. You know, you need to take the next step. If you sit here today and pick up whatever we talked about, do one or two things, and you don't change anything tomorrow, that's like you reading God's word and not changing anything because God's word tells you not to sin or God tells you not to commit adultery or anything else. So God's word is telling us things. What is it that you're doing? The journey is forever. It doesn't stop. Once you learn something, God gives you something else to learn, to repeat. So it's kind of nice. Commit your financial life to him. You know, commit yourself, every single thing. Commit yourself to learn. And I would love for this church a year from now is to say, you know what? We've gotten ourselves out of individual people got ourselves out of financial trouble and now we want to help others you could be a lighthouse we also do training if you want to be trained as a coach we could train you so that you're coaching the community that you're coaching people in your church so you could teaching financial bible studies to kids all those things are available that you could say i'm going to commit my life to the lord and you know who learns the most many times it's the teachers because you're learning it you're repeating it to make sure that you impact so seek a lifestyle of obedience and think about this, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So if you think about that for a second. So you're saying he's Lord. He's told you in, in the word what you're supposed to do, but we're not doing it. So it comes to finance. So Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's your decision today. No one is ever going to force you in this. Your spouse might or they might drag you along or anything else. But you have to make a decision. So I've helped many couples in the 20 so years of ministry. And I, I had a couple that um, they were interested. They actually came to an eight hour seminar that we did. And then two years later, they said, hey, by the way, can you help us? I said, great, how did I meet you? Where do you know me from? And they said, well, um, I went to a seminar two years ago. I said, what have you done for the last two years? No, we didn't want to get it started. We tried. We didn't do it. And I said, well, are you better off now than then? No, we're worse. So they could have started two years and gotten themselves going. 
So in the finances, get started today. Don't start, don't even wait till tomorrow. Even if you sit down on a napkin and say, these are the things we're going to do in our family, these are the things we're going to change. You have to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? And I like the 24th chapter of Joshua, and I'll leave it with this. He's reminding the children of Israel of all that God had done, and he admonished the people to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and to put away other gods. And, to, and he goes to say, it is, if it's disagreeable to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today. Who will you serve? So here's a question I say is, who will you serve? Are you going to serve man's economy or God's economy? Are you going to serve God? And understand when you serve God, everything else falls into play. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for loving us. We thank you for this time. I pray that your word penetrated people's hearts and minds and that they will be changed, Lord, today because of the message that you've given them, Lord. I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for the, the strength that you've given me, Lord, the abilities you've given me. And I pray that everybody realize that they could be up here teaching this themselves, Lord, if they just commit their lives to the Lord and learn finances, Lord. And I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for just allowing me to be your vessel, allowing me to instruct others. And we say all these things, Father, in your son's mighty name. Amen. Pedro, real quick, if you could.